Tennessee plays basketball tonight back on the hardwood as LSU comes to town. A 7 p.m. start, not 6.30 tonight, a 7 p.m. start. Tennessee, LSU on the SEC Network. LSU comes in struggling. The days of Will Wade and Javonta Smart are gone. Strong-ass offers. Will Wade's doing well down at McNeese. He is. He'll, he'll get another job mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Bigger job. Is he actually beating like teams in his conference, or is he still like beating up on like the school for the 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 the, the school of the poor and the? He was playing a women's like one one team had like a women's name, it was like women's Bible college or something. But I guess they have a men's team too. Is he is he actually like beating anybody, or is he still beating up on the I, lowest level of basketball teams he can find? I haven't checked in on their resume lately, but I do know that they uh, they were making some waves there kind of early. They're well, they're a good shooting team. It is kind of wild that he had to go to McNeese State, and meanwhile, like we're talking about Chris Beard coaching Ole Miss. Like, it does seem a little weird that that's happening, right? Here's his schedule. This is this is fun. They opened with a win over VCU. Which, that makes me think, what the hell's happened to VCU? Like, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess Shaka Smart or Will Wade, neither one of them are walking through those doors. Do they suck now? Is VCU just a terrible program? Because you tell me they lost to McNeese State by 11 to start the season. Well, they, yeah, they're in transition. Their coach went to Penn State, I think, last okay. season. So maybe, I don't know. That Yeah, that is not a great sign for They didn't VCU. have a big-time guy to like just promote or, or bring back, I guess. Yeah. They should have called Will Wade. Then, McNeese State, <laughs> they moved on with a win over the College of Biblical Studies. No joke. Then Champion Christian College. Never a good sign when they, when ESPN doesn't have a link or a picture for the team you played. I, I can't click on the thing and find out who that is. Laterno. Don't even I can't even understand. Laterno, yeah, they're and Laterno, just for the record, has only played two games this season. They played McNeese State and then Texas State. So 96 to 55, 110 to 46, 81 to 49, those three scores. Then there's some schools we at least recognize their name. Western Carolina, Texas State, La Tech, UAB, UT Martin. Went they, three and two in those. And then the game they won against the Owls. <laughs> that's all it says on the score. Well, that's that's the Mississippi University for women. Yeah. For women, the, the yeah. Owls. So, like, yeah, I told you, they played a women's school. It's unbelievable. The Mississippi University for Women. Now, you know, again, I think it was a men's team they were playing. They beat them 92 to 23. And and yeah, MWU as we'll call them, they uh they've only played two games that that are at least recorded um, as final scores. They played Alabama State and McNeese State this season. It's it's unbelievable. Um The good news for them is that was the last team on their schedule that you couldn't Click on that. The, every other team on their schedule at least has a profile on ESPN. So, I guess that was the last of the of the headlines. And then, yeah, they got to took down Michigan. Well, that's another story about Juwan Howard. Yeah, I mean, Juwan Howard. Apparently, they're leaning towards keeping him as well at Michigan, which that seems crazy. I get he's one of your beloved alums, but like that 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 seems like a disaster. So, yeah, twenty and three, nine and one in their conference. So. You might see Will Wade in the tournaments, assuming that they are eligible. I assume they're eligible. 
They, uh, yeah, uh, they're tied with Samford for having the best one loss record, but being like down in the high 70s, mid 80s in Ken Palm. Okay. So, yeah, they're. Uh, Seems like they're the best team in their conference. Seems like you might see Will Wade, but again, kind of crazy that he had to go and and play the the Mississippi University for women. But meanwhile, Chris Beard is still on the sidelines at Ole Miss. But either way, either way, yeah. But back to LSU, they're uh, like you said, they're 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 not good. They're speaking of you know low Ken Palm rankings, or I guess high, depending on how you look at it. They're they're 80th in Ken Palm. Um, 96th in offensive efficiency, 62nd in defensive efficiency. So this should be this should be a W tonight. I think it's uh, we don't really need to make our picks. That's that's this is kind of a foregone conclusion. I would hope. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We said that with South Carolina. We, I was going to say we said <laughs> it with South Carolina, and this ain't South Carolina. Though. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. But we treated it almost like a foregone conclusion there. And for the perception-wise that you're saying, keep in mind, and, and maybe this is more of a testament to how badly they missed it last week, but correct me if I'm wrong, Tennessee was 13.5-point favorites over correct. South Carolina? That's right. They're 14.5-point favorites over LSU? Yes. So according to the projections and the odds makers and all that, it's a one-point difference? So, I mean, it's not that drastic of a change. Now, you could argue that you know if, if South Carolina came back to town – Today, yeah, maybe that's more of a seven-point spread versus a thirteen-and-a-half-point spread. Maybe you missed a good opportunity, you know, and a bunch of extra points when Tennessee was riding high. But I don't want to call it a foregone conclusion because these midweek home games just don't seem fun. Are you going to the game tonight? Yeah, I'm planning to. The seven o'clock start. As much as I complained about struggling to get there for a six and six thirty, seven's too late. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what time do you want to start? Six forty-five. In our new world, you know, it's like it's uh, six forty-five. Sound good to you? We'll, we'll split here, the difference. I am going to answer your question. I am going with this with, might leave at halftime. Exactly, with the hope that this Bob beats the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Bob beats the crowd. I will stay if it's a close one, but. Although I stayed for that South Carolina one last week, and and it was obviously a close one. It was horrible. It was like so hard to be there in person and feel the pain. But uh, yeah, I'm planning on going. Bad traffic leaving after South Carolina, because um, that would have sent me over the edge. Watching my team lose that game. Uh, here's what it I'd, being nine fifteen, or I guess it was an eight six thirty game. So it being eight forty five and me being stuck in traffic. Surprisingly, we did okay. And here's why: it was because if you recall, Tennessee made kind of that meager kind of run at the end i was already up making my way around but watching through the the, the entryways yeah. yeah so when the buzzer hit i was boom out the door and and it wasn't bad but okay. yeah i i but because i've been there before yeah you would have gotten i would have gotten stuck for sure they're saying it's close to a sellout tonight again yeah i got an email saying they had limited tickets i think on monday yeah but basically like of the remaining home games i think they said there were five remaining home games this is the only one that has any tickets left so like hey come see the boys beat kentucky they're they're riding high i don't know if they'll get to a sellout i hope they do just so they can say you know they sold out their conference schedule i'm sure danny will do something creative <laughs> with the tickets to to ensure yes. a sellout I, I would imagine by noon we'll announce a sellout tonight i'm gonna guess little trivia, I, I used to play uh, pickup ball with LSU's coach, Matt McMahon. 
He's from Oak Ridge. What's the trivia question here? No, that's not true. I just gave you the trivia. That's a tidbit. I don't okay. call that a trivia. I call it a tidbit. I don't think I'm ever going to get asked, what SEC coach did Bob used to play pickup basketball with? Probably true. Um, now, the part about him being from Oak Ridge, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a tidbit that I remember whenever he got hired. Was he any good? Could he ball? Oh, yeah. He played at App State um, under, I think it was, was that Houston Fancher back then? I think it was in that era. Or maybe, no, it was Buzz. It was Buzz. Okay. Well, make a note, Sam. Uh, uh, next time you're at Bar Trivia, if it comes up. <laughs> it won't come up. It's not like I It's not like I would go down and see Coach McMahon and say, hey, man, remember me? And he'd be like, hey, what's up? I remember when, I remember when you elbowed me on a box out <laughs> yeah, one time. I guarantee you he would look at me and go, yeah, yeah, I don't have any idea who you are. Hey, Doug. Or uh, excuse Greg. Greg, <laughs> how, how's Doug playing? <laughs> Trade deadlines? He worried about that? I hear you're leaving after the year. You almost took the Notre Dame job last year. Wow! I sent I sent a selfie. <laughs> okay, that sounds creepy right off the bat. I was gonna say I sent a selfie to John yesterday he wearing did. wearing the, the new inward half shirt that I got, which is badass. Let's go. And, but I had uh, I had what I called my Greg McDermott blue pullover on too. I checked I checked my phone and I just got a picture of Bob smiling all dressed <laughs> up. I was like, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> And he's like, great shirt. Love it. <laughs> I was like, wow, Bob, your eyes are really popping in that shirt. Look, look great. Yeah, yeah. Sam, you going tonight? You I am going tonight. My wow. mom's coming in town. Oh, that's right. We're going to the game together, yeah. What time's, be a good time. What time's mama coming in? Oh, that's um, right. I don't know. Probably kind of like late afternoon. I've got class until like 2 or 3. You so. taking her to Cool Beans? No. pregame. I think we're going to go get some dinner before and then, and then head to the game. Nice. Nice when mom comes in. Yeah. Free dinner. Yeah. It is nice. Hey, Mom, let me take you somewhere nice, this new place. <laughs> she called me yesterday, too, and she was like, she was like, I think, you know, like, would you mind if, like, I bring some food up, like, for you and your buddies, like, for the Super Bowl? I was like, not at all. <laughs> bring it all. <laughs> please, no, no, no food for us. Man, please. I would hate it. I would hate it if I have to cook myself for Super Bowl Sunday. And if there's any extra cash that you can bring, too, <laughs> exactly. please don't bring that either. Leave the cash alone. I don't I don't want that. I, I'm grinding, Mom. This is. I'm doing this myself. I don't need you to bring me food or money. I'm going to get it myself out of the me. mud. I got me. I'll just take dinner with you. I don't need cash. You think I'd take the money from Jay-Z? No, I just want dinner with Jay-Z. It's just like that, Mom. Mm-hmm. It takes me uh, – it, t- it does take you back. We've all been there. Like when we go down to Florida where our oldest lives, and uh, he's not much older than you, Sam, and he uh, he's always like, hey, you know, text immediately. It's awesome to see you. Um, I had be up for grabbing dinner tonight. <laughs> you know, he's like offering it up. It's like. Okay. Yeah, of course. I got reservations at this place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, he's already got the whole week planned when we're there, you know, because it's free food. I get it. Made I made all there. the reservations to take you to all the best spots. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yeah. Tommy writes in saying the Vols are now down to 12 to 1 to win the national championship. Oof. So that it was 14 to 1 yesterday or maybe Monday. I don't know if the North Carolina loss changed that, and now it looks like Tennessee might be in line for a one seed, which you know drastically should change your chances to win a national championship. I do think the difference between a one seed and a two seed are pretty big. I do think that. I think like when you look at the quality of like a three seed that you might play in the Sweet 16 versus a right. four seed, usually we don't give that enough credit, I don't think. 
or even like going up against a 12 seed versus a 10 seed if that's what you have to do and if it's an upset like those are that 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 matters so tennessee maybe since north carolina lost tennessee gets a bump cuz yeah carolina falls down to 17 to 1 to win a championship purdue 7 to 1 connecticut plus 750 houston 9 to 1 and then in fourth place all alone tennessee at 12 to 1 Arizona, Alabama at fifteen to one, and and I, I I hope so too. I mean, because the Lenardi latest, God, has and again we know it's all provisional, but they have Tennessee now in the Midwest as the two seed with Purdue as the one. It's like I'd rather be seeing them like if we could get to the Final Four, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to stress about the potential matchups just yet because I do think Tennessee has. Just the last four games, the last two weeks in general, are enough to get you to a one seed. Like that's a yeah, resume. I agree. You you have four resume wins there, or four resume opportunities, I should say. I mean, you haven't won them yet, but like even going three and one in that stretch might bump you up to a one seed. To reach the final four, Tennessee has the fourth best odds to do that as well. It's in lockstep with the odds I gave you for the national championship: Purdue plus one sixty, Connecticut plus one seventy. Houston at plus 210, Tennessee at plus 260. So, yeah, they're projecting Tennessee to kind of be a one seed here, it feels like. Um, do you? Speaking of that, if we talk about trying to ascend to a one seed, do you feel really the work, the work absolutely has to be done? You just mentioned it in that last stretch of the regular season. It really became clear in the last season or two that the selection committee doesn't seem to be putting too much stock in these conference tournament performances. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's probably the way it should be, quite frankly. I agree. I don't think you should really be able to, to move up a spot unless it's like, hey, Tennessee was a the top two seed the team they're chasing loses their first conference game and you go to win a conference championship and beat like, let's say Auburn and Alabama, you know, two of your biggest competition. Like maybe that should be enough to edge you like maybe two spots up one seed line. If you're like, you know, right there on the cusp, but otherwise a loss shouldn't really hurt you much unless you're a bubble team. Just as far as I'm concerned, I mean, like, you know, maybe give you a little bit of a nudge upwards, but even then I don't think it should matter much unless you just, you know, go in a murderer's row and, and like I said, you're close to being bumped up anyways. Uh, you would assume if Tennessee keeps taking care of business in the SEC conference tournament anyway, they'll get the double buy. And, um, yeah, I, did. I guess my point is if you, if you went and laid an egg, but – the thing, the truth is, they're not going to be playing that early in the tournament where they'd be laying an egg against some much inferior team. The double buy, you know, eliminates some of that. There have been times, you know, like where a Vanderbilt who's like down like around a hundred makes it through to the the quarterfinals. Possibly, like you know, you might have. Let's just say Tennessee is the one seed in the SEC tournament. I mean, theoretically, you could be playing a, an eight or a nine seed. That's not great. Like an old Miss, or like something. an old Miss, yeah. yeah. Like who, who isn't going to be like a resume ruiner, but at the same time is going to come in probably. I mean, where are they at right now in terms of the metrics? They're going to be, I imagine, like somewhere like in the mid sixties, seventies. They are so a quad two game. Yeah, yeah, they're sixty two. Okay, 
So yeah, it's gonna be like a quad two game. Yep. Losing to them might be enough to like again if you're on the cusp, if you're on the the cutoff to maybe disqualify you from a one seed, to knock you down to maybe in the second two seed if that's the case. If you're right there on the cutoff, you know I don't know. But I think, and I you know I say it all the time, the regular season's the bigger body of work. The regular season should matter more than the postseason especially the conference tournaments. Now, I know like you want to win a national championship. I, I understand that. I get that. But the one-game sample size, the one-off, neutral sites, doesn't tell you as much about your program as the regular season does. And mm-hmm. I don't think it tells you as much about the quality of your team as a 31-32 game sample size does. I just remember fans being so up in arms two seasons ago when they won the SEC tournament and didn't get a two-seed, right? They were a three-seed. Well, I also thought that, Bob, was also because Tennessee had won like nine of their ten games prior to that. Or, you know, they've yeah. been on a real big stretch since the, the Texas game. I think the only game you lost was at Arkansas, right? And it was a close game. That I remember feeling like you got a little bit screwed by officiating in that game, which I know that's a common theme in college basketball when your team loses. You yeah. feel like you got a bad whistle. But still, Tennessee, I think, had won their conference tournament but also had been on a pretty good heater as well. And I don't think Tennessee fans were wrong in that. And I say that as a Tennessee fan that was also mad about that because the rest of your season, like, you had been pretty good. And also, like, as hot as you were, you were a very popular pick to win the national championship. I don't know if you guys quite remember that, how many people were picking you to be a Final Four team and to be a team that won the national championship. You're a pretty popular pick. You were you were hot and good. So I do think you should have been better than a three seed. Yeah. I uh, I still got that Michigan game. That was that was that was painful. The Michigan game was brutal, but yeah, you had won twelve of your last eleven. You had won twelve of your last eleven, and really, if you go back before then, I believe you had won or you won eleven of the last twelve. Yeah, thank you. You had won fourteen of your last sixteen. If you include like a one point loss to Texas, a game you you know you barely lost, like you were you're on you're on a good stretch. And then, yeah, you ran through the, the SEC tournament. So if you want to subtract those three wins out of that, that's fine. And say you won eight of your last nine with your one loss being a, a one-point road loss to keep you away from a 12-game winning streak. So, like, I thought that had a lot to do with Tennessee fans being upset too. The conference tournament, yeah. You, to not get any nudge from that, it's like, okay, what's the point? Well, but, that's how I felt after that. Yeah. I guess that was my point too. Was like, okay, then you know, it really doesn't matter. Apparently, that that was the whole thing. And, and I get if you didn't want to give them a, a bump on Sunday because, like, hey, beating Texas A and M, whatever, and also like, hey, we got to get this bracket set because the selection show happens in like two hours. I understood that, but like to get no bump from beating a number five Kentucky team, that, that like, like you did on Saturday night. Which I don't know if that's going to lead to the SEC ever looking and saying, hey, we need to move this tournament up and wrap it up on Saturday instead. Because, you know, you'll have some conferences do that and they'll end their conference championship on Saturday to maybe give the committee a full chance to evaluate their winner and give them a a fair shake. Because, you know, wrapping up your game maybe two hours before the ceremony uh, of the selection Sunday, that doesn't do you any favors. Hour one in the books. We'll kick off hour two of some things you might have missed from the night before. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
All right, let's talk some Tennessee LSU with our friend Stats by Will. Stats by Will, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, John. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere. Nice sunny day outside. So, how bad can it really be, you know? Before we get started, I got a question. I've been wondering if you are aware of ESPN's guy, Stats William. Are you aware of him? Uh, of who? There's a guy on ESPN who his thing is stats, and his name is Stats William. And whenever I hear someone reference him, I get a little upset on your behalf. Are you aware of Stats William that's in your lane? Yeah, Will, I thought I just saw – that's a really good point, John. I saw this yesterday. Wojnarowski was referring to something by Stats William, and for just a split second I was thinking it was it was our guy, the guy we know. Were you aware of Stats William, Stats by Will? No, but I think I need to get in touch with a legal uh, representative – well, I thought so as well. That's why I was bringing it to your attention. So have your legal team. You know, Bob's probably got good lawyers. We'll get Bob to get you in touch with somebody. We'll we'll work some contracts. We'll, we'll worry about, you know, copyright infringements, impersonation, all those things. <laughs> I, I, find, I found out who this guy is. All right, I looked him up. He has, he has been with, like, the Wizards before, so he does have some credentials. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say I think he might be legit. I hear pretty powerful people reference him. What was your big takeaway after Tennessee dominated Kentucky on Saturday night, especially in the second half of domination? Well, I think it's twofold. One, uh, Kentucky's defense is what we thought it was. It is very, very bad. Um, honestly, them you know pantsing Vandy last night doesn't do much for me. Uh, it's Vandy. So I, I don't think we learned quite as much as we thought we would have on that end, but it was good to see because – and I think this is the key difference between this team and some teams of the past. We've seen Tennessee go on the road, play these teams with what we think are pretty bad defenses and not take advantage. They'll resort to a lot of mid-range twos, not attack the paint, not look for plus matchups. And I think that game kind of solidified how this team does feel different. You know, they, they got their open threes and a lot of in-rhythm jumpers, but the thing that I noticed most was they attacked early and often, like you saw Zakai get to the paint pretty regularly. You saw Connect get to the paint very regularly. They do miss some bunnies, but, you know, attempting 13 twos, I think for him, that's a great sign against a weak front court. So that was what I was most encouraged by was they saw their advantages, and instead of sticking to we have a system, not a game plan, they changed the game plan a bit and attacked weaknesses. I don't think we've seen that with previous Tennessee teams at least not since Grant Admiral. I don't know if you'll have this stat off the top of your head, but Josiah Jordan-James led the Vols with 18 shot attempts on Saturday, Adu with 13, Connect 14, Ziegler 11. How many games this year, or at least against Power 5 good opponents, has Dalton Connect not led the team in in shots attempted? I'd have to look it up, but I would wager it's fewer than three. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I definitely know there's not been many games ever where Triple J has led the team in shot attempts, at least not since his freshman year. So, I mean, you just look through the history of the season, you know, 15 attempts against Wisconsin, 17 against North Carolina, 17 against Kansas, and so on. Probably the first game, and the only one that I'm immediately thinking of where he didn't lead the team against you know, Power 5 competition, or maybe the Ole Miss SEC opener, and then the NC State neutral game, yeah, where he yeah. didn't play very well. But that's about it. I mean, and that also is the encouraging sign of it doesn't have to be all connect. And part of that was how Kentucky chose to guard him. They doubled him very early and often, especially in the ball screen sets. 
And, you know, credit to Dalton. He was wise enough to realize that made it four on three for everybody else. But uh, credit again, he didn't try and play through it and just create for himself. Everybody, I mean, everybody else stepped up, too. And I, I don't know if it's been out there, reported or not, but there's been the rumors of a Friday night team meeting between Dalton, James, Vesky, and a couple other veterans where they're saying, you know, Dalton is saying, you know, I, I love scoring, I love getting my points, but I need you guys to step up and help. And I think you saw that sort of renewed mindset on Saturday. Well, in a perfect world, like what do you see the shot breakdown as? Is it something where it's closer to even and connect as, you know, a decoy and maybe just your closer and everyone else is getting involved, or do you still want to see him maybe with four shots or more than his, you know, next closest teammate? I, th- I think something where, like, Connect has two more shots than the next guy up is about right. Wh- whether that's they do or Ziggler or James or whoever, depending on the night. I mean, it could be Ganey, God only knows. But uh, something like about two more shots than his next closest person feels about right, where he's still the number one option, but he's not the runaway number one option. You've got a 1B to go with him. We talked, uh, Will, about... Tobey Awaka, we've been talking about him a lot leading into that Kentucky game about where it felt like he was kind of a missing person for a little bit. Um, he reemerged Saturday night. We felt that it was probably his best performance of the season so far, but just from your uh, perspective, your unique perspective, we talk about how he influenced the game too, just from a uh, – well, it was clear he influenced the game from a physicality standpoint, but uh, was there was there anything you saw that also aided you know in terms of statistically what it did for the team too? It just felt like what he brought after his first stint in the game had a couple minutes, got foul, got a couple fouls called on him, which he tends to do. Then when he came back in, he was highly effective in a short dose of minutes. Um, Anything you can take from your perspective on how that impacts the team, too, from an efficiency standpoint? Well, I think it's just as simple as when Iwaka's in the game, you know you're getting at least – he's going to get you at least an offensive rebound or two, and that helps a lot with continuing possessions. Like when he was on the court Saturday, he was only on the court for 17 possessions, but in those 17, Tennessee scored 27 points uh, and shot 89% on twos. Uh, with heavy thanks to him, I mean – He's such a presence down low that, you know, there's the boards, of course, but that little, what they used to call the Gortat screen, where you steal in the paint and the guard drives right by, you know, they used to call that a foul. They don't call it much anymore, but, you know, do it until it's illegal, I suppose. He is perfect at that. He's gotten really good at sealing his man off, creating a driving lane for somebody, and it's the little things like that that give him extra value beyond just the statsy stuff of, the offensive rebounds or him starting to become a bit more efficient uh, on post-ups. You just did a Marcin Gortat reference. Did I catch that? Mm-hmm. Wow. The Polish missile. That's what they called him. <laughs> um, so le- jumping ahead to LSU, uh, we were talking about LSU a little bit uh, before this segment. We talked about the, at least at, Face value, there's some similarities when you talk about spread. Last week uh, with South Carolina, Tennessee was a 13.5-point favorite this week. Tennessee is a 14.5-point favorite. I still don't see that as being – the eye test tells me this is a different kind of opponent than South Carolina and that 
I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I feel like we shouldn't feel too concerned. And I was reading some of your write-up, too. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit, on why LSU is is different than South Carolina. Well, they've lost a lot more games, first off. But I, I think part of it is, you know, when you, when you watch South Carolina, and I think this has really borne itself out since last Tuesday, you see, like, a very put-together defense, like, very in touch with one another offensively. I, I still cannot claim to love what they do offensively, but I think they're making do with the uh, talent they have. LSU doesn't quite have that level of punch offensively, and defensively, I, I mean, I didn't love the South Carolina centers, but I loved B.J. Mack, and B.J. Mack is just such an unusual uh, piece in the SEC. Where he's a 6'9", 240 guy who can ground and pound inside and also attempt eight threes outside. LSU doesn't really have that. They don't have, like, a great true rim protector. Their center, Will Baker, has one of the lowest block rates of any starting center in America. Not a good defensive player. They've also got a weird setup where they do have a tall front court, 6'10 and 7 feet, but um, they switch a lot, so you'll see a lot of, like, 6'10 power forward on Zakai Ziegler, which is not an ideal matchup for that power forward. It's why, you know, it works against some teams and gets destroyed against others, you know. Gave up 108 to Alabama, gave up just 66 to Georgia. So I, I, I'm not as worried about this one. They don't do the thing South Carolina did that had me a little fretful going into that game. The only way that I could see this being close is if Tennessee gets in foul trouble pretty early because LSU does get to the free throw line a lot. Statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe. Follow him on X, StatsbyWill. I know you're not into gambling, but earlier we pointed out that Tennessee has the fourth best odds right now to win the national championship. Too high, too low, just right. That feels accurate. I mean, you know, number six in Ken Palm, and I think you would trust them over Auburn right now. I think fifth on Torvik. And to me, the, the metrics matter just a hair less this year because we watched the games with our own eyes. We saw Tennessee did not take pretty much any of those quad four games seriously whatsoever. They did all that they had to do, got in and got out of the gym. It wasn't like, you know, last year where Tennessee demolished like the McNeese states and Alcorn states of the world and sort of inflated their metrics a bit. It feels more real this year is what I'm getting at. Like, you've played these top 50 teams. You've got a lot of wins. Yeah, you took a home loss to South Carolina, but that frankly looks a lot less offensive every day. And I mean, fourth feels about right. I am assuming before we go any further, top three are Purdue, UConn, Houston, in some order. Correct, in that order okay. right there. Yeah, I think that feels accurate. You could make the argument for maybe Arizona to be ahead of Tennessee. I would imagine North Carolina's fallen a bit since their loss last night, but. That would be about the only team where I'd say, yeah, they have a reasonable argument to be ahead. And, I mean, obviously Arizona plays in a much worse conference than Tennessee does. So uh, I think it's pretty reasonable. Crazy to say. Your your point about the non-conference taking it easy, in hindsight, does that seem odd considering how Rick Barnes has kept his starters in and some of these blowouts trying to – you know, make a statement and rack up as many net ranking points, if you will, as he can. Because, yeah, like you missed a chance to really 
stat, you know, uh, pad your stats earlier in the season to get some of these non-conference opponents. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't shock me if that's, you know, some of the reasoning. And I do think some of this is mental, too. Like, you know, for example, if you're Tennessee and you just got done playing Illinois, George Mason, North Carolina, Kansas, Purdue, and Syracuse across your last six, the second you go up 20 on Georgia Southern, your brain shuts off and you're already thinking about the next game. I don't know if it's a staff thing as much as it is. The players probably did not take the second halves of those games seriously. I did not feel whatsoever like they took Tarleton State seriously, for example. Um, So I I think some of that's on the players. That's a bit of a missed opportunity. But at the same time, if you're aiding your resume with all these quad one wins, you're blowing out Kentucky on the road by double digits. Honestly, that score could have been worse. You whooped Alabama at home. You whooped Florida at home. Whooped a decent Ole Miss team at home. Like, you're going to have pretty good metrics no matter what. And the good thing for Tennessee is they've still got some opportunities to add some blowouts to their roster because, you know, this LSU team, while okay, is not the toughest team they're going to play the rest of the way. Arkansas is self-destructing. Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. Missouri still doesn't have an SEC win. Like, you're going to have opportunities to sort of juice your numbers a little bit against the lower rungs of the SEC still to come. All right, let's do a check-in for the big picture. Still looking at 15 wins and the SEC gets a championship? I say yes. I, I, I do think Tennessee, of their remaining, of the four that we're kind of still considering as contenders, because I don't think Kentucky's going to make it, Alabama, Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee's probably got the lightest quote-unquote lightest, relatively speaking, schedule the rest of the way. Like, Alabama's gets really tough from here. I think of their remaining nine, eight, or quad one or quad two games, Auburn's remaining nine, seven of them are quad one or quad two. So Tennessee's going to have a shot, but when you're favored in nine of the remaining ten, I do think you're going to have to win nine of the remaining ten to get that title. Fourteen and four might do it, but it just opens up too much uncertainty for me. I look at the metrics for looking ahead a little bit to A&M this Saturday down in College Station, and for whatever reason, that game, it worries me. Although I look at the metrics and there's nothing that pops off the charts for me when it comes to Texas A&M. It's just, um, for me, probably the Buzz Williams factor and, again, College Station being on the road, et cetera. Um, Talk me off the cliff there, Will. Am I worrying too much about that game? I don't know if I can because I'm a bit worried about it myself. It's just it's less about anything A&M is or does and more that they're just so chaotic this year. So the the website has the metrics. They've got this consistency rating for uh, every team in college basketball. It's just, you know, how much should you overachieve or underachieve your expectations uh, on a game-by-game basis? A&M is easily the least consistent team in the SEC. And while that could be good, like you could go down to College Station and win by 20. Uh, that could also be bad if A&M, you know, 27% from three, if they have a plus shooting day out of nowhere. I mean, they're good enough defensively to put you in trouble. So that is the lone real roadblock for me between tonight and the Auburn game on February 28th. Because if Tennessee can win that A&M game on Saturday, they really should be 22-5, and 12-2, and two, walking into TBA for that Auburn game. Statsbywill.substack.com. I would suggest, Will, before you come back next week, you need to come up with a little promo code and maybe like give 10% off to our listeners so we can give them a push 
just for Ooh. next week as we try to get set for the stretch run here and for March Madness. Let's get to as many subscribers as possible because, like I always say, the best writer covering Tennessee basketball by far, stats by Will, on the way out to your biggest key for tonight, Tennessee LSU. You got to stay out of foul trouble. That's the only way LSU can really hang in this game. It's the only way they've hung with better teams. And you got to exploit LSU's foul issues on the other end because I think Tennessee's probably going to blow them out on the boards. I would be shocked if Tennessee shot truly poorly at home again. So the only way for this to be close, you got to avoid fouls. So Waka's can't do his thing where he's got, you know, five fouls in 12 minutes. Well, that's good because I always feel like Tennessee gets a good whistle. Appreciate your time as always, Will Warren. Stats by Will. Go give him a follow. Go subscribe to the Substack. Talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. Love the officiating when it comes to Tennessee basketball. Always feel like we get a good whistle. So I'm glad that his key here is don't foul and get fouled. But no, like the the spread is down to 13 and a half right now on FanDuel, so it's exactly what it was for South Carolina. But it does feel like a drastically different game. Yeah. It does feel like a drastically different matchup. And and even like going into last week against South Carolina, I know it's easy to say with the result in hand, but you at least knew South Carolina was scrappy and going to try to, you know, muck it up and drag you down. And that you're going to struggle maybe to score enough points to really blow them out. I don't get that vibe with LSU. No, and I think Will touched on it too. I think there's been a lot more love for a lot of people for South Carolina in the last week. Uh, I just think – I, I think even the folks creating the spreads and, you know, the bookmakers, et cetera, they weren't giving out, uh, South Carolina the proper love last week either. That that spread, we talked about it, felt it was big, felt it was too much. Uh, sure turned out that way. So, yeah, I, I do think it's very different. Well, even then, had them as underdogs at Georgia and only three-and-a-half-point favorites last night against Ole Miss. And they had them as underdogs. I didn't catch that at yep, Georgia. Yep. Wow. One-and-a-half-point underdogs at Georgia. That's unreal. It always seems so simple after the result. The Kentucky over. South Carolina on the road. Layups. It's too busy watching St. John's. Send us a break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. This segment is powered by SM Athletics. Are you a business owner, club director, member of a social or religious organization and have a logo, but you need merch to help represent your brand, your club, or your mission? Well, you need to check out Logo Solutions, powered by SM Athletics. You have a logo, they have a solution. From custom apparel to headwear and promotional items, Logo Solutions is your one-stop shop for all your branded merchandise needs. Made right here in East Tennessee, be sure to give them a call for all your logo needs at 865-966-3434. That's V-O-L-966, Shaq with the Lakers, Shaq with the Lakers, 3434. And as always, you can find all of SM Athletics and their apparel and what they offer at smathletics.com smathletics.com speaking of speaking of offerings and brands and logos we had a big announcement in the sports watching landscape yesterday 
as some of the heavy hitters are apparently getting together to create a sports streaming app to offer you those options. Yeah. All in one place. Super team, right? That's what it sounds like at first. Uh, this broke yesterday afternoon, and it was, it was pretty amazing how quickly it reached so many different media outlets, too, in terms of level of importance, because it is a bit of a game changer. We talk about it. We all live through it as consumers in terms of wanting to figure the best way forward because the world is changing when it comes to, are you a cable TV customer? Are you a satellite customer? Satellite's almost dead as we know it. Um, and then there's all these other uh, options. I've talked about it. I'm a YouTube TV customer. I'm not going to pimp for them, but I, my, that's just a, it's, I cut the cord, so to speak, in that regard uh, a few years back, as a lot of people have. So now, legacy media companies are really racing as fast as they can. Some are late to the game, in my opinion, but they're all racing to get the piece of the, the streaming pie because that's definitely going to be the future. And one of the differentiators is always going to be live sports. And so what John referred to was yesterday ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery teamed up, announced a team up to create a sports streaming platform. They haven't named what it's going to be yet, but it does have a working project name. The name is Project Raptor. And what typically happens in these media companies, I went through some of this myself, is when they come up with these project names, there's there's actually underlying meaning to it. It's not just a grab a name out of the sky. It's it's just it's not going to resemble what the name of that product will be ultimately. But Project Raptor, if you look up the definition of Raptor, it's well. It's some sort of prehistoric animal, but there's also this notion about um, seizing and capturing. That's that's really the 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 the, the skill set that a raptor had. So that's what they're talking about here: is they want to actually get their piece of the live sports uh, landscape and try to maybe box out some of the other players. So I mentioned ESPN, Fox, and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. That's not everyone. So while this is seismic. And would change the industry because they're talking about launching this as soon as fall of this year. Um, there's other there's other stakeholders that are not involved in this, not included. Include, you know, Paramount Global, which is CBS, Comcast, which is NBC, Amazon, Apple. All those folks that still have some some level of sports rights are not a part of this. But what they are trying to do, and ESPN's taking it a step further, they're still standing firm that they want to create a standalone, separate streaming product with ESPN. Okay, So that will still happen, and it's still going to be separate of this bundle that they're talking about creating. But if you think about all the channels that are combined when they talk about this bundle, it is pretty significant. It's all the ESPN network, so ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN News, ACC Network, SEC Network. And then also on the Fox side, you have FS1, FS2, Big Ten Network. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery has a lot of rights in their own space with uh, the Turner Network. So it is a big, big product offering that's coming. The question will be what the price will be because it won't be cheap. I saw someone speculating that that covers, you know, business and sports they were speculating around fifty dollars a month. Is that same about I, I, the price you would think? Fifty to sixty, yeah. It's it, it will not it will not be cheap, but it depends. In this day and age of 
where they allow consumers to have more of an a la carte approach to what they watch. Um, it depends on what matters to you. There's ways you can probably, again, cut the cord entirely with, like, say, a Comcast, for example, and go with maybe this bundle and then maybe Netflix and maybe uh, the Max app. And, you know, you might be good. That might be enough for you. It's, and then do your live TV, uh, your live local TV through uh, an antenna, you know, that, that, that you can put on your TV. There's, it's just going to further disrupt a marketplace that I feel has been flipped upside down in the last year or two already. It's just more disruption. So at least 15 networks, they're boasting that they'll have all four major pro leagues. That's NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL. They're also saying they'll have some WNBA, NASCAR, and college sports, including March Madness, both men and women's, because the the women's right now is on ESPN, and the men's is on Turner. You know, not maybe the CBS channels, of course, on the local, but you know, yeah. you'll have your True TV, you'll have your your TNT games, your TBS games. They're saying that this will be on that app as well as golf, tennis, and FIFA World Cup action. Yeah, it's a lot, and that's going to be an int- that'll be the interesting dynamic is what happens with you just touched on March Madness because CBS has their own, you know piece of that pie you know with particularly with the final four a lot of that runs on cbs but i think they simulcast on tbs and the turner network so the question is will that still exist in this new world well my one of my first takeaways is like hey it's going to be better for channel surfing because that's my biggest hang up between not cutting the cord right now is i don't want to have to open five different apps like last night watching the BYU Oklahoma game inexplicably I was stuck there because like it was hard to go out of that and then try to get into a different game and I did try to go to the South Carolina ending but like for some reason on the ESPN app it's like hey I can't this isn't you're not authorized to watch this even though you pay for SEC network and even though even though like our cable is linked there like you're not able to watch this on the app so I had to just pull it up on my phone and just go back to Oklahoma BYU and watch halftime of that and, and, you know, you're trying to go to the NBA, you're trying to surf channels. You can't really do that if you're opening four or five different apps. So it will be nice to have all these on one app. Sam, I'm curious what your thoughts are as a guy finishing up college. You'll, you'll be set to have some money coming up soon. But right now, when I tell you a $50 price tag and a new app, your initial thoughts, what? I think it's huge. I think to me, this is something that I would be very interested in buying. Okay. Um, so you would pay right now fifty dollars a month for this? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. Um, and I think maybe that's just me personally. I'm not like a massive like TV and movie guy. Like I don't spend a ton of time. Like I would rather maybe cut some of my other subscriptions to other services just to go and get a. a subscription service that I can just bundle all my sports together in one. Okay. Because yeah, I mean that that's another thing I've always said when it comes to cutting the cord is I want my live sports. I want my live sports. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on delay, which the older I get and the less other TV I've been watching, I'm kind of like, you know, it might be kind of a dumb reason I can just stay off the internet and deal with a five second delay. But you're saying like you would cut out all your extra stuff to have your sports in one centralized place. Yeah, like I would take a, I would take this if I was if it came down to it, I would take this subscription service over like Netflix. Okay, honestly. Okay. What What's going to be interesting too? We we said the the pricing's TBD. We've given it a ballpark, but you know, there's parts that still 
hang in the balance right now there's uh the renegotiation of the nba packages is happening and the nba rights are expiring this year right, right. so they're going they're back to the table this summer to try to lock down that yeah and i mean there's there's preliminary you know gamesmanship that goes on there already between the league and these these media outlets and you know they're saying the that there's experts that expect the nba to command three times its last deal which uh would mean a deal of close to 80 billion dollars over the next 10 years that and that's extreme would and, this be like them basically looping like league pass into all of this like would you be able to watch any nba game type of thing with no, all of that or that's a separate no. different yeah it'll yeah. still be separate okay. you know and so my point is if they're going to spend that kind of money, um, that's going to get passed along to con- consumers as well in terms of cost. So the, that number is what is going to be most interesting to me is how that really happens. But this, ha- I would also say this is a, a game of catch-up for the media companies because, again, consumers, they're abandoning pay TV at a rapid pace. Annual decline in the last year has been over seven percent just two years ago it was only two percent so it's really it is moving forward now and so uh it's a tough situation because these big companies have always had that burden of hand with what they were getting with cable fees and everything else but now they're seeing it slip the cable universe is eroding it's getting smaller more people are going to streaming there's more people like sam who don't even want to understand or care about the old cable approach so they've got to get in this game. This is an interesting play. It's also going to be how they're all they're going to have, you know, you have big time CEOs from these companies with big agendas, big egos. How's that going to work? Because Hulu is part of this and you know, it wasn't that long ago that Hulu was a, a merger essentially of NBC and Fox and it was you know, it, it, there's tension, and there's going to be tension here because you've got Bob Iger, you've got David Zaslav, um, you've got, you know, a person that heads up Fox. These are all big-name folks with enormous agendas, and they're all going to be one-third owners in this new business. So how is that going to work? It's there's, there's a lot to be resolved, but I have to say it's a bold move. It's not anything I saw coming. When I, when I saw this yesterday, I was like, you know, holy hell, it makes sense, but it's it's a big, big step. Well, it made me think of when the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the ACC had their little alliance or whoever it was. I yeah. think those were the three conferences. That was my initial reaction, that someone's going to stab the other in the back. Then I thought about, well, okay, so now we got Fox and ESPN teaming up, so that's probably good for the college football the, that landscape that they're going to be somewhat partners in lockstep with the Big Ten and SEC. If you're looking at the two super conferences, kind of becoming the the official minor leagues of the NFL, you got that partnership. Then I saw that you, you said it was going to be looped into ESPN and you could bundle it. That does not mean that your ten dollars a month is going to get you this, right? That means no. it's just going to you. You'll have an option to maybe pay fifty five dollars and get your ESPN and your your Hulu discounted versus like you'll buy it through ESPN versus the Fox side or, or what does that even mean? Yeah. I think what happens is you would be able to, you know, say it's 50, 60 bucks. You get all three. You may come back. Some consumer may come back. It's not going to be us, but some consumer may come back and be like, I don't really, really care about what ESPN offers. So I'll just do the ESPN app at 30 bucks. Okay. So they'll know? have, okay. Yeah. Which is what somewhere around the price point ESPN has talked about putting their standalone product out there to market for. 
$30 a month just for ESPN stuff. I mean, that, I, it makes sense, and people would pay it, but, like, that's been, like, the big hang-up every negotiation, right, is they keep asking for more and more money from these cable people, right? It's, like, 14 or $15. Is that what it's up to now in terms of yeah. what they get per cable subscriber? That's about right, yeah. And then everyone fights them on it, and then they'll try to hold out, and then eventually they'll cave because, I mean, it happened to me this football season. You know, Spectrum didn't have ESPN the first opening weekend of college football. Right. And you're like, what the hell are we doing here? And like, you know, everyone's freaking out and going crazy. And eventually, the cable companies have to fold and have to pay for it because they lost a lot of customers over it. And they're already losing customers as it is. When I hear something like this, it just makes me think about, I mean, now it makes sense, obviously, because ESPN is the one controlling the product that matters. But like, I, I couldn't help but think about how cable maybe should have found a way to be more a la carte than it was back in the day. And how they maybe should have found a way to let people pick per channel. Like, I should have had the option to pay, hey, I just want ESPN, right. FX, uh, give me, like, one movie channel. And, like, you know, I like TBS. And, like, here, give me six channels that I actually like. Throw MTV on there and let me pay a little bit more versus paying 30% higher and having channels that I don't watch ever. You know, I don't watch the Weather Channel. I don't want to watch Fox News. I don't want to watch, you know... HGTV or, you know, something like that, uh, you know, channels that, you know, don't matter to me. Yeah. You know, and, and it kept me afloat <laughs> professionally for a long time because sure. the networks I used to run were networks that in an a la carte world, they would never get picked up. But you up. got to be bundled up. and Yeah, like, exactly. Kept... We were we were va- added value yeah. and all these other things. And now in this day and age, that's what there's talk about in terms of cable. They talk now, you can find lists of these are going to be the 20 networks that aren't going to make it. And it's and it's some networks, too. Like, you know, it's all these kind of very niche networks, but then one that's not as niche, but it, like an e-network may not make it in the right. new horizon. It could all be just wiped out. So very interesting time. But to your point, it's overdue, I'm afraid. I think consumers really needed to have the level of choice that they're getting now. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what the streaming was born out of, was people like, I don't want these channels. Yeah. I only watch this, so I'm going to pay for only this. And now it's gotten to where you're paying for – 13 different things and it's like ah maybe we should just let us pick our 10 channels to start with and and cable could have you know maybe not lost all of their power hour two in the books we'll kick off hour three with trey wallace friend of fan run outkick the coverage fox sports all of those things stick with us it is the morning show on fan run radio Hour number three, kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Hour number three is brought to you by our friends at Inward Half Elevated and Transformed Performance Driven Apparel. Fashion forward statement pieces for the entire family. Bob, you got your first piece of Inward Half yesterday. Rated on a scale of one to 100. One to a hundred. You like one to a hundred. One to fifty, then Bob, and I'll multiply by two. <laughs> I would give it a fifty, and I'm not uh, trying to be a sheep here. I, you know, we talked about this earlier in the show. I, uh, I'm pretty picky when it comes to my clothes and uh, fit, feel, everything on this shirt. John predicted the size properly for me. Uh, I was impressed. The fact that I got a new shirt and I wore it the same day—that's it, that's almost unheard of with me. I typically will get a shirt and I don't wear it for a little while. I, I wore it yesterday. So um, all good reports when it came to my product. 
inwardhalf.com if you want to experience it for yourself. Inwardhalf.com. All right, let's hit the phone lines. Let's bring on friend of Fan Run Radio, Outkick, Fox College Football, Trey Wallace. How are you, my friend? Morning, gentlemen. Trey. Doing a lot better today than yesterday. Hope y'all are good. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad whenever you texted me at, at what happened to you, and then we had a listener take a shot saying, I guess it was optional. And then you oh, texted nice, me. That's a nice throwback. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, he's like, I guess it really was. It's optional. And then, you know, you text me last night saying it cost you about $500 to, to, to take care of your issues yesterday. So I felt bad for you. Oh, man, it is what it is, dude. Come on, buddy. What stays in the, the fan run era uh, will live on. So it's all good. It was all fun and games. Well, yesterday the courts – ruled against Tennessee's TRO and ruled against their restraining order saying there was no damage being done that could not be overcame and said that they are denying Tennessee's request for a restraining order saying we'll you know we'll play this out in court next week but that they thought Tennessee and the merits of the case you know it was in favor of Tennessee what else do we need to know about what happened yesterday I mean I I think it comes down to you know the harm I don't I don't think the the state attorneys um, for, for Virginia and Tennessee could prove that there was going to be harm done to these student athletes uh, from, you know, really from Monday uh, until today. And that comes down to, you know, being able to get in front of a collective in a span of 24 to, to 48 hours and talk about their future. And if you're going to sign somewhere, what that compensation looks like and, and the way that they brought it back, you know, talking about, okay, if there was, it was in the court documents, but I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing the judge here. If, if, if a, if a prospect thinks that they were wronged in this process, um, and they were not able to gain their full compensation of what you know, NIL would look like when they signed with the school, okay, you could turn around and sue down the road for monetary damages. And I think that's why you did not see the TRO. Granted, yesterday, because it kind of gave them the leeway to sue down the road when it comes to that part. I think that in the overall stature of where this lawsuit is is headed, they gave the two states an out when it comes to what happens under the Sherman Act. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, in particular, what the argument is and how they argue this next Tuesday, you know, in Greenville, Tennessee, just because I, I had a couple of lawyer folks reach out last night uh, that, I, that I've spoken with over time. And, and even one of them um, said that, you know, this now looks like a lawsuit for damages compared to being able to potentially change what NIL is to potential prospects. So it's, it's going to be very interesting in my opinion, how the attorney generals for, for both states kind of go at the NCAA here because if they want immediate change, okay, that, that's one thing, and you can issue a preliminary injunction, and this thing's going to go on down the road. They're going to kick the can. There's going to be you know appeals. It's going to be argued. And, and I just feel like, you know, after looking through both, you know, responses, um, it, it's hard not to disagree with what the judge did yesterday, because you're really just setting, it's all setting up for its wording too, where, you know, if they, if they play their cards right, 
then then maybe we do see changes in NIL starting next week. But but for the time being, I, I think it was a smart decision. Trey, thanks for joining us, buddy. It's good to hear your voice. Um, yeah, brother. Yeah. Um, so what I was struck by on this was – I think it's rare to me that you you heard a, a ruling yesterday, a preliminary ruling that was basically, yeah, we're going in this direction, but, you know, P.S., we, we like your case. Um, I, I found it, again, it keeps coming to, we've heard a lot of hyperbolic, you know, statements. I've probably said them myself in the last week that, could this be the beginning of the end of the NCAA as we know it? I mean, I, I can't imagine that what the NCAA heard yesterday was was comforting. I just wonder if it was surprising to them at all. I I I, I wonder about that. I I just love to to get your take on that. I, I think maybe you know from a TRO standpoint and the fact that it was happening in the Eastern District of Tennessee, and you throw all those variables in it. Um, you know, there there were a couple people at the NCAA offices kind of thrown off the fact that they did not, you know, that, that they came out on the quote-unquote winning in yesterday. But then the fact that it was set up by Judge Corker where pretty much you're laying out that, okay, yeah, you 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 won this battle, but you're not going to win the war. And it, and it was interesting phrasing. I, I don't have it right here in front of me. But the way that he set up, you know, saying, "Look, I, I you know, the, the merits of this is 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 going to be in a way where the NCAA loses, you know, under the Sherman Act." And I and I feel like, you know, the NCAA and they're bringing in their heavy hitters, by the way, when it comes to attorneys and, and arguing this case. But it doesn't look good for the NCAA, and it doesn't look good down the road too. Because here, here's something that was that was thrown at me yesterday is. You know, you're you're seeing Tennessee and Virginia kind of lay the groundwork of this. But what's going to happen in, in two months after Tennessee and Virginia handle their business is, okay, then you're going to have other states like Alabama and Florida and Mississippi and, you know, you name it, the Arkansas. They're going to join in on the lawsuit. And then now there's going to be more components that are against the NCAA. And, and how do they react to that? Do they try to figure out, some kind of settlement in a sense of, okay, here's what we can do with the rules. Or do they let this thing play out where it can go higher and higher in the court system? And finally, you know, we get a complete overhaul of what NIL is. And that's what stands out to me the most is, is that I think that a lot of states right now um, are, are letting these two just, okay, here, here's the game plan. Here's how we're going to attack it. Uh, we're going to get in front of the judge next week. And we're going to argue all these these different points of where it should be changed and why it should be changed and why it's hurting student athletes. But then at the same time, you know, again, you're going to have these other states taking notes, be like, okay, now we have to figure out when the right time is to join this lawsuit, or or on the other side of that, bring different lawsuits on our own because. You know, you know, we've got one out in California that's going on right now, uh, one in Ohio, technically. you got this one in the Eastern District of Tennessee. Now imagine if you come in, you get lawsuits in Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia and Arkansas, and you name it and you name it. Then things start to build up for the NC, not in a good manner 
when it comes to what the future looks like. And, and I've and I've been saying this. I think this is Charlie Baker, uh, Bob. I, I think it's the NCAA trying to hang on to that that little bit of power that they still have. And, and the other problem is is that they released NIL rules, you know, that yes. that to this day are hard to interpret. And and when you get in that kind of situation. You kind of just have to throw your hands up and be like, okay, what are y'all guys doing? You know, you want to you want to enforce this, but you're still throwing out guidelines that that don't go with every single state that has adopted NIL rules. So that's where it gets complicated to me, Bob, about what the future looks like for the NCAA. They can still enforce stuff. They yeah, can still have their hearings, but you know, rule wise, man, they're really circling the drain right now. Now, and that's one of the things I feel has happened to you. Speak, you speak about the ambiguity that was put in place by the NCAA. I think that ambiguity has conveyed over to NILs. I do think that this has the prospect of shining a brighter light on the way NILs operate, the collectives, basically. And um, yeah. because I feel it's been it's been loose, you know. I mean, there's no question about it. And again, I believe some of these NILs have been equipped maybe improperly, maybe not with enough, um, you know, the proper legal minds, et cetera. And it's more, uh, as I've been saying, kind of a creative endeavor. And this is big business, man. So I think that that's another byproduct of this, whether the NCAA will have any ability to influence that change. I just think that it's, it's brought to light more and more what people have kind of said under their breath before about these NILs is, you know, it was convenient to just say, well, the money was changing hands way back when. It just was under the table and might have been illegal. Now it's legal, so it's all yeah. okay. But there's more to it than that. Well, there is, and and the way I look at it is, you know, um, in the in the investigation or or you know, it's, it's a lot of people get them mixed up. I think the investigation in the Tennessee and the lawsuit that's going on right now, not you know, not by purpose, just because they're all coinciding at the same time. But I do think you know. One of the arguments that's that's trying to be made is is that you know, Spire, um, who's done a good job when it comes to NIL um, at the University of Tennessee, but that you know, and I guess we're talking about the investigation a little bit here too. Um, that Spire was was only working, you know, at first with Nico just as a representative market, but by the way, it didn't have anything to do with Tennessee. Like that's the part that's kind of laughable, and and and, and there's a paragraph in then you know, in the whole ordeal where they do talk about where you know a prospect was not going to be tied um, to to a university, but that this agency went out and said, okay, we're just going to sign this kid, and then we're going to have his rights wherever he goes. Well, I, that's very very hard to believe. I, I have spoken with a lot of NIL collectives, and I've spoken with a lot of universities about this over the last three years. And you know, look, if, if you're signing a player, you're signing a player because they're going to your school. Now, it, there's a difference. When you have companies like CAA or WME, these agencies that rep these, these, these student-athletes or prospects, or high school, that's a different story. Um, but when you have collectives going out there and doing it, I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around the argument of, well, you know what? We didn't sign this guy because he would come to our school. We just wanted the rights to him overall, no matter where he went. 
And I just don't think that part is going to fly when it comes to a court system, you know, because if you put that in front of a judge, I think a judge might laugh that one out of the, the, the room. And, and, and that's where it's going to get a little tricky when it comes to the NCAA investigation side of this into NIL, especially with what we reported uh, on Friday, where you've got the NCAA bundling, you know, past instances of infractions between the University of Tennessee uh, and, and the rest of the investigation, per se. Have you talked to anybody on Tennessee's side about how they feel about the process and their confidence and the results being good for Tennessee? Are we talking about the investigation or the, 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 um, the lawsuit? I would say just they're both kind of connected. Just the yeah, yeah. Just I mean, the end look, result for Tennessee. Just, just, just if Tennessee is going to, if they feel confident that they're going to come out of this and be vindicated, or at the very least, not be punished for anything. Look, Tennessee. The folks I think inside that administrative building feel pretty happy with what happened yesterday, um, and at the same time, they also think that the NCAA is coming at them with, you know, laughable offenses is a word that I keep hearing around Tennessee. Um, you know, there, there are folks on that side that think, okay, once this notice of allegations is brought forth and made public, um, that it's going to drum up more controversy towards the NCAA because of what's in there. Um, and, and, and you're going to have people laughing at the NCAA. Like, that's, that's kind of Tennessee side. But we all know how this thing plays out. I mean, you can have that from a PR perspective and trying to get that, that, that out there uh, into the interwebs. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think that Tennessee as a whole will, will, will benefit from the, the, the lawsuit next week. I think the NCAA investigation part, what the problem is, is that you've had some instances where you haven't put yourself in the best light when it comes to, to NIL, when it comes to infractions, and they're minor stuff. It's not big stuff. And I would look, I report, it, it, you know, the, the Tony Vitello deal uh, from, from last year, uh, the Rod Clark deal. Uh, from a few years ago that, that had him suspended for the first two games in the season. I'm not saying there were some crazy rule-breaking going on, but what I am getting at is those are still infractions, and it can still be put together as saying, hey, look what you guys have done. Okay, even though they're small, there are a number of them, and then you add on the – "Quote unquote NIL, Nico deal, and whatnot, and that's where the NCAA is trying to hit Tennessee with a lack of institutional control. So, I, I think that you could see something positive out of the lawsuit potentially next week, but then down the road, you know, Tennessee fans will freak out for a little bit when it comes to the NOA, the notice of allegations, and then you know realize that." You wouldn't have Danny White and Dondi Plowman coming out with these scathing statements like they had if they don't feel just utterly confident that they're going to put NCAA in a body bag when it comes to the NOA. And, and I just feel – because we haven't seen that, John. I mean, a, 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 a chancellor 
and an athletic director coming out and destroying the NCAA in statements and, and how they're doing this. And, and the other thing is they're fighting this in a court of public opinion right now compared to fighting it you know, in an infractions committee room. And, and that's where things will, in my opinion, pick up over the next couple months. Trey Wallace underscore on Twitter or X, depending on what you want to call it, outkick.com. Friend of Fan Run Radio, Trey Wallace, appreciate you as always. What's on your immediate schedule for uh, the offseason that's getting ready to, I guess, officially start for Tennessee at least after this is settled next week? Man, it never really stops, right? I mean, we what, today's National Signing Day and you don't hear anything of it uh, right now, you know, which is which is wild in college football. But, no, man, we got a lot of college basketball um, that, that's rolling on, college baseball. Uh, that's going to start next week. There's a really good team here in Knoxville. Uh, it's going to take the field. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Houston, uh, Houston or Arlington next week, uh, which should be a lot of fun. So, look, this is not going to stop. You're going to have NIL laws that try to come out. You're going to have um, even the state of Oregon last night tried to introduce um, some new legislation when it comes to how they're going forward. So, John, this machine just never stops, man. There's always something going on. Well, Trey will keep it covered for you. Appreciate you, brother. Talk to you later. Thanks, Trey. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Outkick.com. Trey Wallace underscore. You know Trey if you're a fan of the station. You probably don't need me to give him any introduction or tell you how to follow him. Sam, send us a break. We'll switch gears. We'll play some overrated, underrated after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. And I will say, Trey has nailed the guest appearance filibuster. He, he was he was mowing through, but he was doing it in a good way. You know, we've had some guests that do the filibuster, and you're like, oh my god, will this guy please stop talking? But no, Trey, Trey was bringing it four minutes at a time with no breaths. He has uh, mastered the art of the radio hits. Good knowledge too. He's gone from radio host here, where you kind of have to switch up the gears to, I got ten minutes, I'm gonna give you everything I got. And make you feel like you got your money's worth by bringing me on. Which I did feel like I got my money's worth on by bringing Trey on. It's almost better that, I'm not happy that he had car problems, but it was almost better that he did cancel yesterday because he had more to bring today because he got to listen to all this. Wow. Wow. So you're saying Big God did us a favor by ruining Trey's day yesterday because it helped us out. Well, that's what I said. I'm not happy for him in that regard, but... Um, With that being said, it worked out great for us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry you were stuck out there for hours and spent $500 on your tire. With that being said, really glad you came on today and not yesterday. We're not sure we would have had much to cover yesterday. So, uh, yeah, no, it, yeah. I just think uh, he's he was good, man. There was a lot of good stuff there. And, and there is, again, it underscores all the stuff that is happening there's just there's a lot happening in this whole space not just with tennessee and the ncaa there's all sorts of other states that are probably going to fall in line overall yesterday's news did that make you did that change anything with how you view this case i think in a way once i again once i sifted through the way the headlines came out uh, it it actually affirmed what I've been thinking. I think this is this is an incredibly significant shot to the bow for the NCAA and I don't think that's I think it's it's a, it's another now you've had a judge who kind of said, you know, again, by the way, 
it's a pretty good case here for you, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take our time and process it the right way. So no no restraining order today, but keep coming. Yeah, I thought that last tidbit where they're just kind of like with the stuff we have now, strongly feel like Tennessee is gonna be in good shape. I mean, I know that wasn't the way they phrased it, but that's the the yeah. takeaway from it. I agree. It was strange. I mean, I, I guess we do it too to other fan bases, but there was some. Alabama and Georgia people like, wow, this looks terrible for Tennessee, and Tennessee's in trouble now, and, you know, took it that way, which I didn't feel that way at all after reading it. I think a lot of the national people, the national media members kind of agreed and said this doesn't mean anything bad at all for Tennessee. Let's play some overrated, underrated. Overrated. Very overrated. It's overrated. Overrated, my friend. Overrated. I'm going to tell you why. I think that's a solid rated right there. Perfect rated. He underrated, man. He has some swag. He has some real swag. Lobsters are underrated. They don't die. All righty. A little bit of overrated, underrated. Coming out hot here with this first one. I got a, a little bit of stats to... A little bit of context, I guess, on this one. Overrated, underrated. I'm going to say the Big 12 basketball conference as a whole this year. And let me give you some stats here. Uh, Nobody in the Big 12 has played an out-of-conference strength of schedule that is ranked higher than 60th. And nine of the Big 12's 14 teams have played eight or more by games this year, while 12 of the 14 have played seven or more. What are by games? Like oh by Tennessee Tech. Yes. BUY games. Yes. Got B-U-Y, it. Yes. I got you. Bob, I gotta go with I think that the Big Twelve is overrated. And I don't say this strongly, you know, I don't say this with my chest. It's a competitive league. It's gonna give you good games, like no one's running away with the conference. Everyone has at least three losses. Anybody can beat anybody, but for me, it also means that there aren't any truly great teams. Like, you could tell me Houston's great, and okay, like, they're good. They're good, and I think Houston's a championship contender, but to me, they're not better than the two best teams in the SEC. I can't say for sure they're better than Tennessee. Maybe Alabama, maybe Auburn. I don't know. Depends where the game is. I look at Baylor. They've been kind of under the radar. Iowa State, Kansas, I don't think either of those teams are great. So it's a competitive league, but like I just don't quite think it's as good as everyone is acting. They'll get a bunch of tournament teams in, but I don't see like a, a juggernaut there, and I don't see a, a couple juggernauts there, and I, I don't see the depth of, of the big-time quality that everyone's talking about. Just, just looking at it from a metric standpoint – as far as top 10 teams go, the Big 12 has number one. That's it in the top 10. Whereas the SEC has five, six, and seven. Now, you know, splitting hairs and to be you know, fully transparent, the Big 12 does have 11, 12, and 14. However, I watched 11 last night. BYU is not one of the 11 best teams in the country. Absolutely not. So, like, Kim Palm can tell you some things. He can't tell you everything. But, like, one team in the top 10 as far as the Big 10 goes. Or Big 12, excuse me. Three SEC teams. That makes it overrated. I think 
I st- uh, I'm a proponent that it's still the best conference in college basketball. Eight of the top 30 in Ken Palm. Now, to your point, how will they fare in March? There's not that dominant team at the moment besides Houston. I'd still say it's underrated because, again, if you compare it top to bottom, even the weakest teams in that conference are like West Virginia right now, maybe Central Florida. Both of them beat Kansas, by the way. And I, th- I think that, again, from a top to bottom perspective, I don't think it's overrated. Maybe to say it's underrated is too much, but I don't think it's overrated. If you tell me that those bottom teams beat Kansas, does that tell you more about the bottom of the league or more about the top of the league? I think it tells me more about the depth of the league. That's you know, again, is it, we've talked about Kansas. This is not a Kansas. This is not a vintage Kansas team. But I bet, I will, and mark this, I bet there's a Big Twelve team in the Elite Eight. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I feel confident they'll be in the Elite Eight, sure. But when it comes to Sweet Sixteen teams, are you confident that they will have more Sweet Sixteen teams in the SEC? Are you confident they'll have more Sweet Sixteen teams in the Big Ten? Yes. Okay. Well, what about the SEC? Are you more, are you confident they'll have more than there? I'd, I'd say that's a toss up, but I'd say definitely more than the Big Ten. Um, I think they could have more than the SEC. Yeah. Well, I think they should if they're as good as everyone is acting. But I, I think it's possible that you look around. There's four SEC teams and maybe four Big Twelve teams or three Big Twelve teams, and that means they're kind of equal. Which means to me. Either the SEC is underrated as a basketball conference or the Big 12's a little overrated. And I'm not saying they suck by any means, but I'll say they're a little overrated. And I think the one thing I do have to claim guilt on is I keep looking ahead to what the Big 12 looks like next season, too, sure. you know, with Arizona and even Colorado in there and Utah. And um, there's some there's some good teams coming. And, you know, of course, Texas and Oklahoma leave. Yeah, but they're not really losing anything from them this year, at least. Not this both, year. Both teams are pretty mid. Yeah. I just think the Big 12 is kind of like the SEC has been in football the last couple of years. Houston's Georgia. Kansas is Alabama. We're like, hey, it's not they're not quite as good as you remember them to be. And then, like, the rest of the teams will give them credit for being able to beat anybody, but also that means, like, the rest of the teams aren't very good. Like, LSU, as your third best team, uh, most years in the SEC, or at least in the 2010s, that means they're championship contenders. Last couple of years, that just means they're exciting and can't play defense. That's kind of how, I mean, I'm not saying the Big 12 can't play defensive basketball, but that's, that's kind of how I feel. They're getting propped up by Houston and the ghost of Kansas and then a bunch of teams that can quote-unquote beat all the other teams. But maybe that means all the other teams just aren't quite as good as, the, as we think they are. I don't know. Next topic, Sam? All right. Overrated, underrated, former Tennessee tackle Gerald Mincy continuing to run his mouth over there at Kentucky. I'll say Gerald Mincy as a player is probably... Has he become a little underrated at this point? Because I think all the things he does off the field makes him seem worse than he actually is. Like, when he's actually playing, I do think he is a solid SEC tackle. Is that not fair to say? I think he's good in the run game. I think he struggles a lot in the pass game. Right, so you say good in run game, struggles in pass game. We'll call him solid. He's he's a starting caliber. Yeah, he's a starting caliber tackle. And I do think the, the way he left Tennessee and the way he's running his mouth, I want to just call him trash. You know what I mean? Like, I want to just say he's terrible. So I do think he's become a little bit underrated as a player, but at the same time, him running his mouth, I mean, that's that's properly rated because it, it makes us hate him. It makes us hate and circle that Kentucky football team. Otherwise, I wouldn't really care about that Kentucky football team right now. 
I'd say underrated just because it's fuel. It's fuel sure. for the fan base and uh, here and and I really hope it's fuel for James Pierce Jr. Yeah, that, I I I mean it. I I think I love it actually. It's it, it's an eye roll moment each time I see it. However, keep keep talking, man. I I love it. That game is what part of the schedule this year? Is it at the end of the year again? Yeah, I think like it's it all, in like it typically or something is. like that. Yeah. So like I don't even know if Mincy will play. I don't know how much we'll care about this like throughout the season, but when Kentucky week rolls around, we'll revisit some of this stuff. The thing about Kentucky, though, Bob, is that they always find a way to give you bulletin board material. <laughs> like either it's the players, like Mincy, it's the media, the national media, or their media saying like they finally caught Tennessee, this, this, and this. Like they're picked ahead of Tennessee. You know, when it comes to media days in July, like something always about Kentucky gives you some bulletin board material. November second. Yeah. Yeah, they uh yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just what we were talking about earlier in the show with uh Kentucky beats Vanderbilt and somehow it gets pivoted into something towards Tennessee, you know? Yeah. How many banners do you have? You know, it's yeah. like shut up, man. Just do you try to erase what just happened Saturday night? Again, focus on the here and now. That's what we do. I would say that we probably pull that card to them all the time in football. True. Like, in football, I'm sure we remind them all the time that they have never won anything and never accomplished anything. The difference is, I think even they know in their heart that Tennessee is a, an elite basketball program. Like, even when Kentucky football wins 10 games, you cannot get any Tennessee fan to be like, actually, that's a really good team this year. That's, a, that's an actual 10-win team. No, they're not. They have benefited from an easy schedule and not having to play Alabama and blah, blah, blah. But, like, Kentucky basketball fans, they can point to the Final Fours, and, yeah, they got a lot of them. And they can point to the National Championships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never made a Final Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But over the last seven years, we've been just as good as you year in, year out, if not better. And I think they know that deep down. Yeah. So it doesn't hit the same. That's when we do it to them in football. Speaking of Kentucky football, I've actually found myself always having a lot of respect from from um, Mike Stoops as a or Mark Stoops Mark, as a yeah. coach. Um, Mike sucks. Yeah, no, but when Mark was at Kentucky, and then there was that rumor he was going to go to A and M, I found myself always saying, "God, you know, he's great at Kentucky." But when the A and M job came up, I was like, "Really." Really, he's going to – they're going to – that's who they're – and so now, you know, so it, it, that kind of puts in perspective for me too, my my optics when it comes to Kentucky football. Like, yeah, Mark Stoops, good coach. You, you, that's good for you guys. But anything bigger – oh, Jesus, really? I mean so. – That's the best you can do, Kentucky. Yeah. And Bob also said that's the best you can do, Mark Stoops. Like, yeah. you just hold on for for rents to retire and you go to Iowa. That's the type of coach you are. You're an Iowa coach. And to your point, Bob, you know who else thought the same thing? Texas A&M fans, they were like, wait, what? Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mark Stoops? Really? True. To the point where they're like, yeah, give us Duke's coach. Now, I know that Elko had a, a stint there as a coordinator and and whatever, but they're like, you know what? I'm more impressed with what you did at Duke. Give me the Duke coach versus the Kentucky coach who, is, who has been solid. And, you know, Florida State fans felt the same way whenever he was rumored to coach there. And, like, Stoops does feel like, again, I think he'll move to Iowa. Whenever that comes open, if it ever comes open, if Kirk ever retires, surely to God this is his last year there. I, I felt this way two years ago, though, and somehow he's still kicking and running off nine-win seasons. But surely the fact he went out and hired Western Michigan's offensive coordinator 
and they're going to have another dreadful offense is enough for them to finally make a change, but maybe not. But, yeah, Mark Stoops, he's cute. He's a solid coach. Well, he's not cute. He's not good looking, but solid little coach. But, yeah, he, he's fit for Kentucky. And that just says all about their football program. But, yeah, Gerald Mincy, he already made her. Um, overrated, underrated. Let's go the NBA three-point contest. Just the three-point contest in general, not necessarily who's participating yeah, in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it's overrated. I still enjoy watching it, but I, you know, it, it's, it is what it is, and they do try to hype it. Uh, this latest one where, what, Curry against Ionescu. Okay, fair enough. I don't mind seeing Steph out there, and and Sabrina can can shoot. Um, but, I, yeah, I, it, it, but I would say it's less overrated than the dunk contest at this point. I know that's not the question, but. Well, see, I would say that the dunk contest is not rated at all. Like yeah. the dunk contest is made fun of, and and this year the four contestants. I mean, Jalen Brown at least gives somewhat of name recognition in it, somewhat. But who else? Mac McClung, oh, Obi Toppin, and I don't know the fourth person. Jalen Brown would probably get a perfect score if he just dribbles with his left down the court and then dunks. I, I mean, the please Mc- God, let him <laughs> kick the ball off of his leg uh, the after Ma- trying to dribble. Yeah, you know, the McClung, the McClung play was that just last season? Yeah, McClung was that, last year. That was all right, I, but was but good. as a one-off, and I guess you got to bring him back to defend. But I'm like, okay, I'm not interested anymore. Obi's got some. He's got he's got a bag. He could do some stuff. Yeah, he's so, because he's so long. You yeah, know? Jaime Jaquez. Really? And apo- apologies, apologies. Not Obi Toppin, his brother, Jacob, Jacob Toppin. Sorry, I-, I saw the Knicks jersey and I forgot he's not with the Knicks anymore. Jacob oh, Toppin. God, okay, wow. That... I-, I don't think this – how many hotcats have any hops? No, that's what I was just thinking. He's a good player. I don't but... remember him dunking it at, at UCLA. No. I mean, definitely not cocking anything back. I mean, <laughs> like, like... – Maybe, like, clear, fast break, so, two-hand slam. So, Mac McClung – Jaime Jaquez, Jacob Toppin, and Jalen Brown. That's like a – it's rigged, man. I think they want McClung to just win again. A it, better dunk contest now, I think, would get be getting Brown guys who can't dunk to try and do cool dunks. There you go. Get that uh, Robbie Avila guy yeah. from Indiana State. Give me get a center in. dunk contest yeah. or something like if we're not 12 gonna, feet. If we're not going to get the stars to do it – Find some G-leaguers. Find some bench warmers. I want one-on-one dunking. That's what I want. I want a big man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a big man going up against meet me a, at the rim a type wing. Thing. Yeah, meet me at the rim. And, uh, you know, they might not do that because of, you know, injury concerns. That's what I'm saying. Make them G-leaguers who, like, you know, if you get a half a million dollar cash prize, like the G-leaguers be like, yeah, hell yeah, we'll yeah. come compete in that because that doubles our salary. That's what I want. I want to meet me at the rim. I'm down for that 100%. That was always so fun in high school. We had a couple guys. Like, yeah. We had one guy who could dunk. He couldn't really play basketball otherwise, but he could dunk. And, like, one guy, they always would just go against each other, see if they could dunk on each other, and that's what I want. That's all my buddies and I did in the backyard playing hoops with each other. We'd just be like, all right, you got five tries to dunk on me. I'll give you Eight five. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that's, I, I, it's, not, it's not a bad idea, but it's like All-Star Weekend then becomes more like an and one mixtape vibe. Well, and you know? one kind of had it set up right the right way. Yeah. It was a little bit more entertaining. And, like, I would rather watch that than, okay, I've seen you do a 360 before. I've seen that. I guess, Even if they pull off a dunk that we would never think you could do, you're still going to be like, oh, okay. Because, like, the social media and the internet has just completely desensitized us to dunking. Yeah. 
Well, and the other thing I would say you can say too, it anywhere. Yeah, the other thing I would say too is this would make it int- this would make it more interesting. Come up with whatever creative dunk you want to try, but if you don't get it on the first chance, you're done. You know, not this. Okay, we're going to keep trying. I mean, that's the part. It gets kind of funny to listen to to Barkley and Shaq and all these guys make fun of it. But you know, we've seen this happen where this person's like trying it like for the eighth time or you know it's like come on man it's I, that's I, I hate it i hate that i don't know if i i gotta be honest i haven't watched a dunk contest live in uh, 10 years really uh, I, I mean I, 2014 was the zach levine and aaron gordon show and like i didn't even watch that one live but like i remember being i was picking up somebody from the airport and like listening to xm ray and like oh my god the dunk contest is back it's so great and like i went back and watched it i was like oh hell yeah that was great but like Maybe the next year I watched it live, but after that I was like, nope, I'm good. If if it weren't for those guys from TNT calling the the action, you know, commenting on it, I wouldn't watch it. That's the only part. That's the reason I watch it. One of my biggest memories, my most vivid memories from high school, is my friend Ryan losing his mind during the dunk contest at Nate Robinson, missing like ten dunks. <laughs> because like Bob said, like back then you got unlimited tries, and Nate Robinson literally tried to dunk like ten times and eventually landed it and still won the dunk contest. And I'm like, how the hell? What, what have we done here? Yeah. But yeah, give me the one-on-one. I want. I want a G League. I like one-on-one. I want a big man trying to get jammed on by a, a smaller person. Meet me at the rim. Let's get some highlight videos. That's interesting. Or you could make it positional too. Point Whatever guard on point do. guard on point guard or something like that. I would rather size him up. I think I'd rather see like a big man against a smaller guy. But if you want to say sure, like you know six eight versus six eight or something like that, let's go. Make it like a gladiator thing. You can you can foul them, shove them. <laughs> no flagrants. We, we got to have some pride here. You got to be making an attempt at the ball. But like, yeah, maybe somebody gets mad. Next thing you know, somebody's tackled and we got a G League fight. I don't know. Again, I don't know if franchise will let you do it. But again, if you throw half a million dollars, if Mac McClung's playing in it, who's in the G League, I'll take some street ballers out there. Just get our best street dunkers and let's let them dunk on each other. But as far as your question, the three-point contest, I guess at this point it's properly rated because it's viewed as the best thing of the weekend, skills-wise, and it's the best thing of the weekend. I guess. I guess. I mean, like, as far as star power, you get star power in it. Sure. Like, the dunk contest, I told you, is Jalen Brown a bunch of losers. Or, Jaime Hawkins isn't a loser, but he's a rookie. At least in the three-point contest, you have Steph Curry shooting. Now, get that celebrity game going, then you're talking. (laughs) That's freaking horrible. What was the guy's name? Uh, Arnie something? Was it the... The chief of education or whatever, the, the head oh, of the yeah. department of education. Ari Fleischer. Yeah, they always had him out there. He's he like, can he's, play. <laughs> see? He you can see play. how excited Bob got? Yeah. Bob's oh, yeah. like, hell yeah, he can play. And like, that was like the main draw of the, yeah. of the celebrity game for a while. I was watching the, the secretary of education <laughs> post up and throw a couple nice passes and watch Kevin Hart. He, he was. I, I always said he was probably on Obama's cabinet because he could ball. That yeah. was the only reason because Barack liked to play. So Yeah. You see the way he lit up, Sam? <laughs> Bob got so oh, happy yeah. at the mention of that guy. See? He was he's the star. He's the legend. <laughs> I had no idea who that guy was. Of the celebrity was. game. Yeah, like when it first started, like that was the big appeal. It's like this guy can actually ball. <laughs> and then you had like, was it which, who was it from the Migos that could play? Uh, was it Quavo, maybe? Yes, maybe, yeah. it was. And Quavo was out there trying to win MVP. <laughs> like he's trying the best he can and like Jay Cole's trying hard because he's like, hey, I can actually play. You know, they all think they can. And like, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Good batch of overrated, underrated. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.